Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, going solo on the pod today. It's been a while since I've done one of these solo, but, you know, we hadn't recorded a podcast in a while, and that happened for a couple different reasons. We'll pull back the curtain here. Blue Wire was transferring hosting sites actually last week, so we are going to be a little bit slower anyway with some of the technology pieces going on on the back end but then jordan also is moving he, he moved last week and had some complications there and now his wi-fi's not working and so he wasn't going to be able to record a podcast at end of last week i ultimately decided to take the week off there wasn't a ton of crazy browns news to go into and that end of may period of time is really the the dead point as far as news is concerned. So that's about the only week I'm probably going to take off for the rest of this Brown season because it's such an exciting team. There's so many different angles to take a look at. We're just going to keep bringing you content on this feed every week. But we took the week off last week, let the batteries recharge, and then Jordan was supposed to join me on this episode. But as I said, no Wi-Fi for him. Hopefully we'll have him on later this week because we have some other topics that I want to talk about with him. However, there were some topics that couldn't wait for Jordan in that episode later this week. And the biggest one is the news that we got today, as I'm recording this, that the Tennessee Titans were the ones to trade for Julio Jones. They traded him and in return, the Falcons will get a, 22, a 2022 second-round pick, a 2023 fourth-round pick, and a sixth-round pick in 2023. That's all for Adam Schefter. So the Browns fan base batted around the idea of acquiring Julio Jones. There were plenty of reports saying that the Browns were not ultimately interested. However, there were some reports that the Baltimore Ravens might be interested, and that would have certainly changed things up in the Browns division as well. But Jones instead goes to a different AFC contender of sorts, and ultimately the, the Browns don't get involved in the blockbuster sweepstakes. And I want to bring this up because I think the Titans were actually a really interesting place for Jones to go and serve as a great point of comparison for the Browns and why I think they ultimately shouldn't have made this move. So I'm going to give some thoughts on, on Jones to the Titans, and then I'm going to I'm going to relate it back to the Browns here, I promise. So bear with me for a second. So let's start with who Julio Jones is as a player, right? He's there's certainly some injury concerns with him. Only played nine games last year. He's played a lot of games in, in previous season, as my guy Nick Day has pointed out on our last podcast, but the snap percentage hasn't exactly been there. Hasn't played 80% of snaps since 2015. Now, when he's on the field, Julio Jones is a great player. I, I don't think anybody's really doubting that at this point. He may be declining slightly given his age, but also if you look at the numbers uh, across the board, when Julio Jones plays, he's been effective. And that I would expect to be true this season as well. Now, the other challenge, and this is always 
forgotten when fan bases, casual fans on Twitter, Reddit, all of those things are talking. They never bring up the contract piece of it, which, of course, is a key consideration with Julio Jones. He has $23 million on the books for this year, $19 million on the books for next year. So that's the other thing. He is not only is he old, not only is he a slight injury concern, he's expensive. And so... To me, the ultimate takeaway from this Julio Jones trade is people way, way, way overreacted to this move by the Titans. I was going back and forth with the Full Slate guys who host a sports gambling podcast on Blue Hour today. I was going back and forth with them on Twitter, and they mentioned that the odds of the Titans winning the Super Bowl went from 40 to 1 to 20 to 1 with this move today, uh, acquiring Julio Jones. And that's absurd. To me, much like the Browns, this move really doesn't change the the Titans' 2021 season outlook all all that much. They lost Corey Davis. They lost Johnny Smith. Julio Jones is a nice piece to replace those guys as weapons on the offense. He's an upgrade if he plays. Uh, Now, if he doesn't play, he could end up actually producing less than those guys produced for the Titans last season. But really, the key question for the Titans is on the defensive side of the football. Browns fans know this just as well as anybody. That defense couldn't stop anyone last year, especially Baker Mayfield in the the Browns on that fateful Sunday where they just lit the Titans up in the first half of that game. And so the question for the Titans, they're sealing this season. Is all about the defense. Can the defense improve from last season? Will these new offseason additions, Bud Dupree, Danico Autry, Janoris Jenkins, you know, those guys coming in and really replacing a secondary that pretty much all went out the door as far as Adore Jackson, Michael Butler, Kenny Vaccaro, are those guys going to raise the level of that defense? Because if they don't, This Julio Jones move means nothing. If the Titans can't stop anybody, it doesn't matter that they acquired Julio Jones because they're not going to be able to hang with the best teams in the AFC. They're not going to hang with the Chiefs. They're not going to hang with the Bills. They're not going to hang with the Browns either for that matter. So that's the number one question with this team. And secondly, I don't know if they can replace Arthur Smith. I'm a huge Arthur Smith fan. It's why I think the Falcons offense is going to be way better this year. Speaking of a team that has their own defensive problems, but I don't know if they can replace Arthur Smith either. And although Julio Jones having another weapon in in there is nice for the new offensive coordinator. I think there are bigger systemic questions on the offensive side of the football about, Hey, is Ryan Tannehill going to produce at the same level? without the play caller that ultimately resurrected his career from what happened in Miami. I'm not sure. If you look at the numbers, Ryan Tannehill's been a top 10 quarterback the last two years under Arthur Smith. Do I think Ryan Tannehill's actually a top 10 quarterback? Not really. I don't. So I'm wondering if a part of that was smoke and mirrors out of Arthur Smith. And I think that's the secondary question about this Titans team. And I, and I think the offense is still going to be good. Uh, the, to be clear, but I am worried that the defense is not going to be much better at all. And so I think all they're on the outskirts of Super Bowl contention still. This doesn't really change that to me. 40 to 1 to 20 to 1? Why? Why? I, I, 
I, I'm totally flummoxed by that. Not only are they on the outskirts of Super Bowl contention, if they weren't in the AFC South, I'd say they're on the outskirts of the playoff picture. Where do they rank in, in the AFC? I, does anybody have the Titans above the Chiefs, the Bills, the Browns, and the Ravens? I haven't really heard any anybody suggesting that, that the Titans are in that class as far as the top four. You throw the Chargers in there. You throw the Dolphins in there. I think when you know all things are said and done, the Colts and the Steelers might have things today. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the Titans are, are right along the edge of that playoff picture. And I actually think they're going to lose the division to the Colts. But even if they don't, that's, that, that's the one thing in their favor and why they'll probably be in the playoffs. Is, hey, they've got a, a horrendous division with Jacksonville and Houston there. But that being said, I, I don't exactly think that they're right at the top of, of the AFC either. And you look at what – how does a team get a, to really be in the top tier of Super Bowl contention? They've either got a great roster, a great coach, or a great quarterback. And to me, the Titans are B, B-plus across the board. I think Mike Grable's a B, B-plus coach. rather have Kevin Stefanski. I think Brian Tannehill's a B, B-plus quarterback, rather at Baker Mayfield. And I think their roster is B, B-plus, even with Julio Jones, rather at the Browns roster. So I, I just, to me, this didn't move the needle. And, and that's where I would relate it to the Browns, is had the Browns made this move for Julio Jones, I don't think it would have moved the needle that I don't. I think that the Browns already have somebody with a potential of Julio Jones in Odell Beckham on the roster. I think that Browns fans, we've all struggled with Odell Beckham Jr. in this offense because for you know, for some reason, we haven't been able to unlock him as an offense, even with Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. So throwing Julio Jones in there, I, I don't know how you can expect the return to be so much better than what the Browns have got to give up that kind of draft capital to commit to that kind of money in future years when you know you've got extensions coming up for hopefully Baker Mayfield, potentially Nick Chubb, potentially Denzel Ward. I mean, the money runs out at some point. The money runs out, and I, there are key components of this team that I think you need to bring back, and so that's where the money piece really comes in for Julio. And from a larger perspective, this is the other thing. This is the really the, the key thing that, that if you take away something from this rant, the key thing about this Julio Jones deal is if you look historically, the best, the smartest teams in the NFL do not make these trades. They do not make these trades for these high-priced, skill players that are probably not worth their value, even though they, they are high quality players. I, when I was prepping for this pot, I went back and I looked and I looked up the top 10 most winning teams from the last decade. And I'll rattle them off for you real quick. Patriots, Packers, Steelers, Seahawks, Saints, Chiefs, Ravens, Broncos, Falcons, Colts. Those teams have not been involved in any major transactions that I could find for a, a skill position player. Now, and I'm talking like, you know, high profile first, second round picks, you know, throw out, you know, sending a third rounder here or a third rounder there. That's different. 
you know, in this where it's a second rounder, a fourth rounder, and a sixth rounder, three picks for Julio Jones, two-year deal. Like this is a blockbuster move. Of course, yeah, the Patriots, Packers, Steelers, I think we can all say that they they have not been involved in any moves like this, right? Browns fans across, you know, will all be very familiar with those teams and those moves. The, the Seahawks have shown a tendency to get involved, you know, from time to time. They obviously took a big swing after Jamal Adams. They were actually rumored to be a part of this. But I want you to ask yourself something. Have the Seahawks been a great roster over the last 10 years, or have they had Russell Wilson for the majority of the last 10 years? Because I don't, I don't think that roster has been all that good as far as team building is concerned. I think, in fact, that's held them back from winning more Super Bowls than they have right now. So, and it's the same with the Saints, who are right below them. And, hey, when the Saints started to build really good rosters over these last four or five years, you know what they did? They drafted one. And you know what all 10 of those teams I just listed have done pretty well over the last decade? Drafted well. Because that's what creates long-term success in the NFL. You draft players. You get them on rookie contracts and in the salary cap league, you get way more value out of those players based on their production than you have to pay. Them. The Patriots do this. The Packers do this. And Browns fans, we've seen this with two teams in our own division, the Ravens and the Steelers. What did the Ravens do this offseason? They let some of their best players walk. Matthew Judon out the door. They traded their left tackle. Why? They weren't worth the money. Value. They weren't worth the money. And Julio Jones is not worth the money. As I said, go look at go look at the history. Not yeah, I, I threw out the teams. Go look at the, the actual trades that have gone down. So I took out quarterbacks. The Chiefs traded for Alex Smith. The 49ers traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I think in both cases we could say that that those trades were wins for those teams, but also very different circumstances than trading for a, a receiver in his 30s, right? I took out trading for draft picks. Obviously, the Chiefs moving up for Mahomes, massive success, right? A, you know, the, the Ravens trading for the Lamar Jackson, massive success. Draft picks, different than, than what we're seeing here as well. You go look at the big blockbuster trade. There's, you know, the, the Cardinals acquiring Chandler Jones. Oh, who'd they do that from? Uh, New England, right? New England got rid of. Chandler Jones in that trade. You, you see that the Rams acquired Jalen Ramsey from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now that one's arguably worked out pretty well for the Rams. I mean, they paid a premium price with two first round picks. I think that roster is going to lack some depth this year. And it's my one concern with them as far as Super Bowl contention is they've got the horses, but do they have the depth? They're going to need to develop some guys. But for the most part, the Rams have drafted well enough that that's worked out. And then you get to the receivers. There's been three of these receiver trades that really stood out to me in the last 10 years. The Cowboys acquiring Amari Cooper for a first-round pick in 2018 from the Raiders. I don't see how you can say this is worth it. Amari Cooper has been fine for Dallas. They gave up a first-round pick for him. And to me, his production has been borderline number one receiver quality. But I would say that would be a stretch. And the Cowboys will tell you the same thing because, he, well, they may not say it, but what did they do in the last draft? They drafted a receiver. 
So it wasn't as though they thought, hey, we're set a receiver. Don't need to work on that position at all. No, they they saw that there were some limitations there, and that's how they, they ended up going and getting C.D. Lamb. The Oakland Raiders at the time acquired wide receiver Antonio Brown from who else but the Pittsburgh Steelers for the third and fifth round picks. Now, not quite the, the value that, that the Titans gave up here, but unequivocal failure, right? And of course, a piece of that is the off the field stuff with Antonio Brown, but also when he's been on the field, it is, he hasn't exactly lit it up either, right? And that part sometimes glossed over is Antonio Brown got older. That's that's a piece of it. And for a guy that was entirely reliant on his quick feet, you know, his his ability to get in and out of breaks, things like that, if you slow down, that's going to hurt your production on the field as well. And so Antonio Brown, I don't think, has been the same receiver that he was in Pittsburgh anyway, even if this trade had worked out for the Raiders. And then, of course, there's the Browns. Trading for Odell Beckham from the Giants uh, for Peppers, you know, on a first and a third round pick. And Browns fans, if we're honest with each other right now, if we're being honest with each other, did the Browns win that trade from a value perspective? No, they have not. Now, if Odell Beckham this year comes out and balls, that will change. But Jabril Peppers has looked great in the Giants uniform, and first and third round picks would be very valuable for this roster right now, especially given how much money the Browns have committed to Odell Beckham. Now, I don't think this was an unequivocal failure by any means, but, but you know, did it change their team a whole lot over the last couple of years either? I, I think no. I Ultimately, I think for Allen's fans, if we're being honest here, the answer is also no, that it didn't move the needle a ton as far as Super Bowl contention. Oh, the Browns just had their best season in, in the last, I don't know, 30 years. And... Guess who wasn't on the field? Oda Beckham Jr. So, by and large, these blockbuster trades for skill position players are overrated. They just are. Now, uh, there are exceptions, I, you know, but I wouldn't have made this move if I was the Browns. Too much money, too much risk, not enough of an upgrade over what the Browns already have. So, I'm good. So the Browns fans, just remember this the next time a big name comes up, because it's going to happen again. Somebody else is going to be unhappy. They're going to want out. And Browns fans, because we're a Super Bowl contender, because, hey, we're a fun place to play at this point, there are going to people are going to ask the question, hey, does it make sense for the Browns? Most likely, the answer is no. All right, and now I want to transition to this. And this is going to make for a fun, fun transition, actually, because despite what I just said about Odell Beckham Jr., I think there is an interesting case for Odell Beckham being the comeback player of the year this year in the NFL. Now, I have to give credit to Nick Dias. He was on the podcast last time, and he mentioned that he had placed a bet on Odell Beckham to win comeback player of the year. So it got me thinking. And I decided, hey, let's let's put together the case. And everything I've said about Odell Beckham would not necessarily indicate that I'm leaning this way, right? I, I talked about how I don't think he and Baker click perfectly on the field. And I think Baker has forced the ball to him at times. Now, I have never and will continue to not go as far 
as to say the Browns are better without Odell Beckham. That is ridiculous. Go look at the Chiefs playoff game last year. That Browns obviously would have been better off if they had Odell Beckham in the game. I'm not saying that. What I am saying and have said is this, that I don't think Odell is a seamless fit with Baker Mayfield and in this system in the same way that he was on those Giants teams. I don't think we get the most out of Odell Beckham that we could. And I'm hoping that changes this year, but I don't think the Browns have in the past gotten out the, of Odell Beckham what they thought they were going to. He hasn't been his most effective in this offensive scheme and with Baker Mayfield at the helm. Now, that being said, why, why would things change? How could Odell Beckham become the player of the year, Henry? You've just said he doesn't necessarily fit in with Baker and he's never been massively productive in this system. How could this happen? How could he be the comeback player of the year? Well, here's the case. Here's the case. I laid it out in a couple of different things. First of all, there is a precedent for this. I looked it up, and there have been some wide receivers who win comeback player of the year. Like both awards in the NFL, it mostly goes to quarterbacks. Last three, Alex Smith, Ryan Tannehill, Andrew Luck. But before that, Keenan Allen of the Chargers, Jordy Nelson of the Packers. And if you look two years before that, Rob Gronkowski of the Patriots in 2014. And although Gronk obviously isn't a receiver, technically speaking, he's a pass catcher and largely won that award because of his production in the passing game that year. And then, if, 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 you know, I, I know what you might be thinking. Hey, but, you know, those guys really liked by the media, you know, uh, personality-wise, and, and so they're, you know, they're, they wouldn't do that for Odell Beckham. The, the same kind of support wouldn't belong. Well, if you go back even further, Steve Smith and Randy Moss won, won the award as well in the mid-2000s. So there is also a precedent for this, you know, kind of maligned receiver stepping back into the spotlight and producing and winning the award that way. So there's, there's the precedent piece of it, and then there's the play piece of it. And the play piece of it has a couple of components, right? Number one, Odo Beckham's coming off the torn ACL. He comes back in the best shape of his life. That's got to happen, right? That seems very possible. That part to me is the easiest to believe, right? He's got a contract situation where he's going to want more money after this year. We've seen the rehab videos already that, that look promising. Now, I often make fun of my co-host Jordan for reading a little bit too much into those, but Odo Beckham, sir, I mean, he seems motivated. There's no doubt about that. that it, the drive seems to be there. And then the last piece that I, I don't think has been talked about enough is it sticks with you a little bit when you're on a team and they have success in your future. And Odo Beckham has eyes. He saw how the Browns succeeded last year. He saw how Baker Mayfield played the second half of the season. He saw those playoff games where, where the offense was able to move the ball, how they rocked the Steelers. And you know he wants to be a part of that. You know he thinks he could have made a difference in that Chiefs game. And you know he wants to put the narrative to bed that the Browns are somehow better without him. And so you combine all those factors together. I think you're going to have a very motivated Odo Beckham Jr. at the very least. Now, he's also got to produce the actual numbers. And for that to happen, the Browns have to figure out how to use him more effectively. And that ultimately, if you're going to make this bet, you're betting on Kevin Stefanski which I don't think is a bad thing to do. I 
constantly raved about him on the show, and I'm going to continue to do that. Odell Beckham's going to have to not only you know be a deep threat in this offense, but he's also going to have to get involved more so in the intermediate passing game. It's felt like a lot of times in the last couple of years with Odell on the team, it's either these deep threat plays or quick stuff where, you know, Odell needs to get a touch, bubble screen, reverse, things like that. He's got to find a way to get involved in that intermediate passing game as well, because I think that's where Baker thrives and where they could continue to use him in this system. And then on top of that, I, he, he's still going to have to be the deep threat for this team. If he's going to put up the kind of numbers that are going to warrant this and the type of explosive plays that are going to warrant this. But as I've talked about on previous shows, I think he is going to be that deep threat for the Browns. I actually think Anthony Schwartz is going to be moved more as a motion, horizontal, reverse, jet sweep, you know, screen kind of player early on, despite his speed, and, and that Odell will continue to be that deep threat. So combine all that together, if you, you know, it's got to be 1,300 yards, 1,400 yards, you know, eight touchdowns, 10 touchdowns, something like that, where... Odell has the numbers coming off the torn ACL to warrant the award. And the final piece of this is a narrative piece. Because if a receiver is going to win this award over a quarterback, there has to be a strong narrative component. And I think there are a couple keys to that. Number one, the Browns have to win a lot of games. Now, I, I think the Browns will more likely be the three or the four in the AFC coming end of the year, but if they're the one or the two, I, that's not that far away, right? That's entirely conceivable that the Browns could be at the top of the AFC. The other piece to me is that Odo Beckham Jr. has to get off to a hot start. He has to get off to a start where he catches people's eyes. Oh, he's back off the ACL. He's crushing it. Him and Baker, look at this. They had an offseason together, and wow, have things come together. There has to be that component where he gets in front of the voters early, it to really build this season-long narrative. And this part, there is a case for this. I was reading an article of, uh, by Ben Lindsay, a PFF guy, and he made some really interesting points about it. How last season, you know, under Kevin Stefanski, limited sample size really might not have been the best sample for Beckham. And he was making this case from a fantasy football perspective, but I also think it matters from a betting perspective, that the Browns opened last season against Baltimore, the Washington football team, the Colts, and the Steelers in four out of the first six weeks. And those were all top defenses last season. Great passing defense. This is all in the top 10 or 12 on PFF. Uh, and really it made life difficult for Odell Beckham. So there was a schedule piece where even if Odell wasn't going to have his most effective season last year, he also played the hardest part of the schedule and would have been a part of a lot of the easier pieces of the Brown schedule that the other receivers benefited from later on in the season. And the second thing is that Odell really beats up bad defenses and the Browns play a lot of bad defenses to start the season. So I talked about that fast start. Well, the Chiefs, Texans, Bears, Vikings, and Chargers all project to be pretty eh as far as their secondaries are concerned and actually ranked second easiest among the first five games for any team in the NFL. So Odell's going to have an easy start. He's going to go up against some bad defenses. There's some evidence that last season's slow start could have been a fluke. And, hey, he could come up with these numbers. He could come up with these numbers for sure. 
All right, now, now to be pessimistic, why is this not going to happen? Well, Dak is a massive favorite coming off of the ankle injury. And if you look at the next two favorites, Joe Burrow and Carson Wentz, to beat out three quarterbacks who have this clear comeback story narrative already pretty much built in for them, that part is going to be an uphill battle for Odell Beckham for sure. And that's part of the reason I think his odds are so long. His odds are, are plus 2,500. So this, this is a long shot for sure. The second reason why this is unlikely to happen beyond the quarterbacks being a, you know, ahead of him in the pecking order is that there is a, a question to me of how heavily he's just going to, he's going to feature in this offense. Is he really going to have the opportunity to put up 1300 or 1400 yards? Cause even if he is the number one receiver and the deep threat and the explosive plays guy, all of that, you know, the Browns are going to run the football and they face one of the worst run defense schedules in the league. In fact, I think PFF has it as the easiest run schedule to play in the entire league. So that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to get tons of work. Kevin Stefanski wants to run the football. He wants to use it for play action. So Oda Beckham might just not get the touches. And on top of that, Baker and Stefanski both love to use tight ends. And... We saw that last season, and, and I would expect that to continue this year. And that's why, it, it, to me, if Odell's going to get in this, he's got to get involved in that intermediate passing game because otherwise all of those are going to the tight ends. And it's not to say he can't. Kevin Stefanski had Stefan Diggs and, and you know, did amazing, amazing things with Diggs in his time in Minnesota, so it's entirely possible. But I, I think that that would be the other major concern, where if he's really – because if he gets a thousand yards, I, I think that would be a successful season. You know, another thousand yard season out of Odell Beckham, and, and maybe with the seventeen games, you know, it's eleven hundred. But he, to me, he's really got to get in the thirteen hundred or more. You know, likely fourteen hundred yard range to be considered for this award, and that's going to require a lot of volume. That is going to require a lot of volume, and I'm just not sure he's going to get quite there. Still. The overall piece of this is he might not be the comeback player of the year when it's all said and done. He might not win the award. But there are some solid indicators that Odell Beckham could have a major bounce back here this year. As I mentioned, the schedule piece of it, uh, you know, clouded things. The, the Browns are scheduled this season playing those easier defenses could make things a lot, lot easier for Odell Beckham and just the second year in this system. You throw all three of those things together. A, uh, the idea that that last season, Odell Beckham, the games he played was not representative of the numbers he would have put up as it's just based on, on the difficulty of opponents. You throw in that this season, there's going to be an easier schedule as far as opponents can the third piece, you throw in that it's Kevin Stefanski's second year. It's another year of Baker Mayfield to work with Odell Beckham for an offseason in this system where they can get more on the same page, figure out how he's going to be used most effectively. And those, burnings, those three things right there are a remedy for success. Boom, you're ready to go. So that's the key piece to me is Odell Beckham could be poised for a huge bounce back year based on those factors. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of The Rebuild. Hope you guys didn't mind me going solo here. Appreciate you sticking with me. 
as we've mentioned on several previous pods, please leave a review if you would. It helps people discover the show. It helps us in the Apple charts. And if you leave your Twitter handle, we will be in contact giving you a free six-pack of course Light. So leave a review. Win a free six-pack of course Light. It's that simple. He's done. Takes two seconds. Other than that, guys, really appreciate you listening. As I said, Jordan's going to be back on with me, hopefully, later on this week to talk about the NFL Top 100 rankings, where the Browns guys fell in there. And we'll see if there's any other news that pops up as well. But plenty to talk about this season as well. We've got some Baker Mayfield breakdowns coming down the pipeline and some other great content on this feed. So stay tuned for all of that, Browns fans. I hope you're having a great early part to your summer. And until next time, just two words for you. Go Browns.